From St. John's Gospel, Thomas said to the apostles, I will never believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Today is the, uh, the famous story from St. John's Gospel known as the story of doubting Thomas. I feel bad for Thomas. I mean, seriously, nobody believed that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, who would, right? Dead people stay dead, then and now. And, yet, and nobody believed it. Everybody doubted that it occurred. When Mary Magdalene, we talked about last week, people thought she was nuts. Nobody believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet Thomas, of all of them, he gets nailed with doubting Thomas. It's kind of unfair. But uh, I'm not worried about Thomas today so much. Because I think the reason doubting Thomas, the word sticks so much, is people just really dig Thomas. People really love Thomas. People, I think, I think people consider Thomas to be almost like a first century James Dean and rebel without a cause, right? Thomas is a critical thinker. He's too smart for those religious fuddy-duddies. No one's going to fool Thomas. And you know what? I'm just like him. That's what everybody thinks. That's why Thomas is such staying power, because we can all relate to Thomas and like to, in some ways, feel like, well, we're just smarter than everybody else, and they can be fooled, but not me. But is that really the whole story? And the answer, of course, is no. Because, see, there's more, there's more than just Thomas in today's story. Every year I've preached this, I've talked about Thomas, obviously, but there's more, there are more characters than just Thomas. Thomas is there. I'll talk about him a little bit. But there's also two other groups of people that I want to look at. I want to look at the, the, the apostles. And then secondly, I want to look at, most importantly, Jesus. So I want to look at the uh, Thomas, doubting Thomas. I want to look at the apostles and their testimony. And then finally, the conversion that comes from Jesus. So first thing, first thing that I look at, a little bit of background. John, the Gospel of John tells us that the, this whole incident that we read about in his Gospel occurs in the upper room, which is probably where the Last Supper occurred. We don't know for sure, but it actually occurs in two stages. The first stage is the, is the night of Easter Sunday, so it's last week's evening, if you will, right? The night, it's the night that Mary Magdalene discovered the tomb empty. That's the first story. The second story occurs a week later, but the first story, the first part of the story goes like this. The apostles are all gathered together. Listen to that. It's the key to the whole text. The apostles are in this upper room, and they are all gathered together. And the question is, why? Well, John tells us because they're afraid. And who wouldn't be? right? The guy that they had put all their, their hopes on, Jesus had been crucified two days earlier. Yeah, there's some rumor about him being raised from the dead, but I mean, come on, dead people stay dead. And then finally, uh, they are hiding out. In fact, the, the apostles find themselves kind of like in a place where Anne Frank would have been in 1942 in the Netherlands, hiding from the Gestapo. In other words, the scene into which the story is read tonight, this morning, the scene is terrifying, it's scary, it's dark, they're afraid. Into this gathering, listen, into this gathering, 
John tells us, listen to this, Jesus appears among them. Now, the English translation, the New Testament is written in Greek, right? Which we have, by the way. But the New Testament is written in Greek, and the English translation sounds very poor. It sounds like the apostles are all there, and then boom, there's Jesus. Whoa, look at that, right? That's the way I've always read this text. That's not actually what it means. The Greek is, the Greek is translated, the, Greek, Engli, the English translation of the Greek is that Jesus stood among them. But it's a lot more subtle. The Greek is the word is to meson. And it doesn't mean he's just there with them. The subtlety, the nuance, the key, is that Jesus is there, and maybe they don't even realize it at first. It's not a big whiz-bang event. But he's there, but he's not just there. The Greek means he was there, but he's also side by side with them. Listen to this closely. Side by side, shoulder to shoulder with them. Jesus is with them. In other words, here's the key. Jesus is a part of their gathering. Jesus only appears to them, listen, because they are gathered together. Because there is nothing more terrifying in this world than being alone, is there? There's nothing worse than feeling like you are isolated. There's nothing worse than having to deal with a threat to you, real or imagined, and not having anybody to speak with. Think of the last time something terrifying happened to you. It can be anything at all. Medical diagnosis, somebody gets sick, somebody dies, whatever. Fill in the blank. Think of, what think of that moment. What's the very first thing that you did? The first thing you did was if there's somebody there, you speak to them, right? If there's nobody there, maybe you're driving back from the hospital, you get bad news over at Indian River Medical Center. First thing you do is you get on the phone and call your wife or your friends, or your husband. Why? simple. Because we, friends, human beings need each other. John Donne, priest, 1640, 1624, famously wrote that no man is an island. Just the other day, just the other day I was talking to somebody who had said that they, they don't go to church, they don't spend time going to church, but they do read Christian books and watch sermons online. And I said, okay, that's, that's, a, that's not bad, but that's actually not the whole story, because see, the, the Christianity is not a lecture. The church is not didactic. Christianity is not taught. It is not instructional. Christianity, listen friends, is relational. We need each other. And that is why, listen, that is why corporate worship like we are doing right now is essential. Essential in the Greek sense of the word, necessary. Because we are social creatures. And in fact, Jesus says, Jesus says this very same thing. You've heard it before. It's going to change the nuance a little bit for you now. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, when two or three of y'all are gathered together, there I am amongst you. Is to menon. Same word. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that as we are gathered here this morning in this very building, gathered together in his name, he is just as much with us now as he was in the upper room when he appeared to those apostles. I've said this before, and I'll say it again because it's true. Christianity is relational. It is not didactic. Christianity, somebody once said, is caught, not taught. It is about our relationship with God, 
through Jesus Christ who dies on the cross to save us from our sins and reconcile us to the Father, point one, primarily, but it's also about our relationship with other people that we gather together, because when we gather together, according to Jesus anyway, when we gather together, Christ is present with us. Isto mesan, even now. So what, Rodriguez? What's the point? Well, this is actually leads me to my first point, and it's this. The reason that Thomas didn't believe the apostles is because Thomas wasn't there. This is a lot more profound than you think. The reason Thomas doubts is because Tom wasn't there. See, if you're going to enter into a relationship with God, you've got to enter into a relationship with God. In prayer, yes. In reading scripture, yes. In receiving the body and blood of Christ at the altar, yes. But also by spending time with other Christians, friends. Christianity is relational. And Christianity only makes sense and gets legs to it in the context of being with other believers. Listen, you don't figure it all out and then become a Christian. You become a Christian and then you figure it all out. You don't become a Christian to figure it out. Sorry, you don't figure it out and then become a Christian. You become a Christian and then you figure it all out. See, Thomas's problem, point one, Thomas's skepticism, his doubt isn't intellectual. It's relational. And the reason it's relational is because Thomas had neglected to meet with the church. He was out doing something else. What, we, what he was doing? I have the foggiest idea. We had some discussion about that this morning in our, in our adult education session. I don't know. Thomas might have been out at Publix getting a BOGO. Who knows? Eating pizza, smoking a cigar. Who knows where he was? But wherever he was, you see, that took priority over where they were. So point number one is the reason, that G, the reason that Thomas doubts is because Thomas wasn't there. And it leads me to my second point, and this is the most important one of today, the testimony of the church. Let me ask you this, and this is a rhetorical question. <laughs> anybody, have, anybody in this room have somebody in your family or someone you love? could be a kid or a sibling or a spouse or a grandchild or a friend. And no matter how hard you try to talk to them about your faith, no matter what you say, they echo Thomas in his words, I refuse to believe. Is it just me or anybody? Anybody here? Okay, just a couple. Good. Not just me. Maybe it's just me, but we all have people in our lives who no matter what we say to them, they refuse to believe. They echo Thomas. I've got people in my own extended family, not here, but extended family. This is a concern for me. No matter what I say, they refuse. But you know what? It's nothing new. The first time that Jesus appeared, Thomas is AWOL, right? Who knows where he is? I don't know. But the disciples were gathered together, and Jesus was present. And then later on, Thomas comes back from whatever he's doing, and they say to Thomas, 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 we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. And notice something really, really important, critical. Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Thomas doesn't say, holy smokes, that's great news. I can't believe it. That's really strange. Boy, didn't see that one coming. No, none of that. Thomas doesn't say, hallelujah, Christ is risen. He says, y'all are crazy. Thomas says, I refuse to believe. It is an act of the will. Now, bear something in mind here. Remember, realize something critically important. These people, these 12 apostles gathered together are his best friends. 
These are it's just not just walking into, you know, Dunkin' Donuts and somebody saying, hey, I've seen the Lord. Yeah, okay. No, no. These are his best friends. He has spent the last three years, Thomas has, with the apostles. He's worked with them. He's eaten with them. He's struggled with them. He's suffered with them. These are his people. These are his core. And he, wa- they, he walks in, and they say, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And he says to them, you all are But I want you to realize something here. Notice what the apostles do in response. The apostles say, Thomas, we saw him. Thomas says, you all are crazy. I refuse to believe it. But they don't shun him. They don't shun Thomas. Nope. They don't, get, they don't wait, walk out into the parking lot after church and have a little gossip session amongst a gaggle of people they can gather together. Can you believe that Thomas said that? I can't believe that. They didn't do that either. They didn't write an email. They didn't call the senior warden. What they actually do is they love him. Even though he's insulted them, even though he's told them they're crazy, even though they, he thinks they are nuts, they love him anyway. They stick to their story. They don't back down. Thomas, man, this is what we saw, man. Take it or leave it. But most importantly, here's the key. Most importantly, they invite him back. See, it's kind of like the people in your own life. It's kind of like the people that God has placed in your life. Because see, your job, your job, friends, is not to convert your family. It's not to convert your kids. It's not to convert your spouse. This last Sunday was Easter. Church is a little more full that day. Not a whole lot, but a little more. But in total, we had about 1,000 people here, right, after doing all three Easter services. Church was, it was great. And I said to them, if you were here, you remember, I said to them, look, I'm not going to convince you. And in fact, my job isn't to convince you. I've never converted anybody in my entire life. Because you know what? That's not my job. That's way above my pay grade, and I'm not going to wear that. And it's not your job either. If you think it's your job to convert your kids or your spouse or your friends or your boss or whatever, if you think it's your job, two things will occur. You'll become resentful of them, and they will resent you. (laughs) But see, that's not your job. That's God's work. Let him handle it. He's a big boy. Your job, however, is to testify like the apostles did, to tell others about the good news of what you've seen, about how Jesus has and is changing you. That at one point in your life, man, this record resonates with me. I was blind, and now I see it. In other words, what, what you are called to do is tell your story, man, and leave the rest to the Lord. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this very thing. You know this. It's one of my favorite verses. Peter says, look, always be prepared to offer a testimony for the hope, for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. You know why? No one has ever been argued into the kingdom. You will never argue with somebody over, over Thanksgiving dinner, over, over religion, and they'll say, you know what, Mom, you're right. It'll never happen. No one has ever been argued into the kingdom. But they will listen to your story. So here's the question for you. What, what is yours? What's your story? give you a quick one. I may have said this to you before. Back when I was the rector of Trinity in Red Bank, and I'm using Red Bank because I wouldn't want to use the story from here, though there are many. 
When I was the director of Trinity Church in Red Bank, New Jersey, uh, we had parishioners. The little girl, her name was uh, Paige. She was two years old. She and Gracie were best friends. Paige, her mother, Rachel, and her dad, Chris. Anyway, Paige was two years old. She was not speaking, and it was kind of getting mom a little bit worried because it was taking Paige a while to make noises and begin to sort of babble and ooh and ah. I would have been thrilled by that, but mom was worried about it. And, <laughs> and it wasn't until one day they were out in the front yard playing ball or something, and a fire truck went by right down Front Street, if you know Red Bank, right by their house, and Paige didn't flinch. And Chris and Rachel were like, oh, man, something's wrong. And so they took, they took Paige to the doctor, took her to the doctor, did a hearing test, and they said, well, she's, she's deaf, can't hear. And, of course, you're, you know, you're devastated. That's a, big, that's a big gut punch right there. Well, they, so they tried to figure it all out. Finally, they got arrangements to take Paige to Children's Hospital of, of Pennsylvania, CHOP, we call it, fantastic hospital in Philadelphia. And before they went to try to get her fitted for a cochlear implant, they brought little Paige to me, a little bundle of joy she was, all squirmy little thing. And I anointed her and I prayed over her before she left, praying for a successful surgery. Well, this is where it gets wild. They bring Paige to the hospital. They take Paige from uh, mom and dad, take her in to put the headphones on her and, you know, determine what they're going to do next. Chris and Rachel are rating the bated breath and the doctors come out and say, you're not going to believe this. And they told her, that she, they, they said, we put the devices on her ears and she can hear. And they said, what? She said, She's, she can hear. And they, it was out, it, I mean, and I actually saw, Rachel called me right after this and told me about it. It was, it was a miracle. And in fact, the, 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 the documentation for their visit says condition resolved, quote, I remember this like it was yesterday, I saw it, no medical explanation. Praise God. But the important thing in all that, right, is not that this girl was healed. That is important. What's more important is that Rachel's faith went skyrocketed. And even more importantly, she can now tell that story to those that question her faith, just like I'm telling it to you. So what's your story? We've all got them, man. You've got one. Know it and tell it. They may listen to you. They may not. That's not your problem. Your, your, your issue and your job and mine is to testify. So Thomas refuses. And the disciples, they testify. They tell him, Thomas, this is what happened. But he refuses to listen until point number three, Jesus comes to town. It's a week later. Thomas is now there because they invited him back. Thanks be to God. And as Jesus promised, he says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I'll be there, and he shows up, just like he said he would, just like he does now. And he says, all right, Tommy boy, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. All right, Tommy boy, here it is. You want to see these wounds? Put them in. You want to see this? this the, the spear went through my side? Put it in there, baby. It's all yours. I'm here for you. This is what you wanted? Go for it. You want proof, Thomas? Touch me. But the interesting thing, what converts Thomas isn't the wounds and the marks of the nails. Because you know, if you look closely again, Tom, Thomas never actually touches him. See, Thomas thinks he needs evidence. Thomas thinks he needs to stick his hand in that. But Jesus knows better. 
That's not what Thomas needs at all. What converts Thomas isn't the wounds. What converts Thomas is seeing Jesus. Just like Mary Magdalene in the garden, just like the disciples a week earlier, just like next week Paul on the road to Damascus, just like the guys on the road to Emmaus, just like you. Every Christian who's ever come to faith in Jesus Christ does so because they meet him in all different ways. It's always the same story, man, then and now. <laughs> what brings people to Jesus is Jesus, meeting him face to face. So here's my question. Have you met him? Have you met Jesus? And the answer is yes. Are there any uh, doubting Thomases here today? Raise your hand. I was there once for a long time. And if you are, that's, that's awesome. This is where you should be. Because the story is always the same. Always the same. People are transformed when they meet Jesus face to face in all different ways. Sometimes it's dramatic, dramatic stories. You've heard these before. Tom, uh, Paul getting knocked off his horse or some big whiz-bang dramatic event. Those get all the press. And sometimes they happen and they're, and they're true. But sometimes it's in a subtle thing that you meet Jesus. Sometimes if you're like me, you meet him and you don't even realize it until later. And you realize you've been changed. And you see the world differently than you did before. Point is, what converts people to Jesus is Jesus. You know, so many people come to this parish for the first time and they tell me they love it. I hear this all the time. It's praise God. They come here and they say, you know, I'm not even sure what it is exactly about it. But I just feel at home. I feel comfortable. I feel at peace. Well, you know why? Because when two or three are gathered together in his name, he's there. You can feel it. It's not really explicable. And it's certainly not logical. But it is real. Friends, the most important thing you can do is tell your story. And to invite people to come and see how Jesus changes lives for good. And see how the God of the universe reveals himself personally. And that real conversion occurs only when we meet him face to face. Now we pray. Father, we thank you for the witness of Thomas, a man who, like all of us, doubts you until he met you. Help this parish and our witness together stand side by side with Jesus as he comes amongst us and is with us. Help us to be vehicles for his grace. Help us to be a family which loves and proclaims the gospel and invites those who do not know you to come to meet you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.